From the studios at WMFE in Orlando, Florida, this is the Space Exploration Podcast that asks the question, are we there yet? Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. It's been a busy few days for space news. Last week, we got more details about SpaceX's Starship, the company's newest rocket that's slated to take payloads and humans to places like the Moon and Mars. An exoplanet hunting satellite uncovered 900 potential planets outside of our solar system, and NASA is getting closer to launching humans to places like the International Space Station and the Moon. We're unrolling a new segment on the podcast this week. It's a roundtable of space journalists based here in Florida to break down the latest headlines and offer insight and analysis of all the space news stories. So joining us for the segment will be Chabeli Herrera, Emily Speck, and Emery Kelly. Listen out for this special segment about once a month here on Are We There Yet? This conversation was recorded Monday, August 5th at 9 a.m., so by the time you get to listen to this episode, some details might have changed. We're joined by Orlando Sentinel's Chabeli Herrera. Chabeli, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And WKMG's Emily Speck. Emily, welcome. Thanks for having me. And Florida Today's Emery Kelly. Emery, thanks for joining the podcast. So good to be here. Well, let's start with NASA's TESS mission. It's the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite. Uh, TESS completed its first year of science observations on the hunt for exoplanets. Uh, Emily Speck, what have we learned uh, in the mission's first years? Well, TESS is uh, kind of meeting expectations, as you could say. Um, It's found, I believe, uh, a couple candidates, quite a few candidates, so that's exciting. Um, and it's scanned, I think, about half the sky right now. And the great thing is it's going to do an, a survey of the entire sky. And it is really following up on or following uh, the Kepler spacecraft's uh, footsteps, if you could say, and which could uh, survey parts of the sky. But this mission is going to do the entire sky. So um, it's pretty, pretty awesome and exciting. And then... Um, Following on TESS's footsteps, the James Webb Space Telescope, that's really going to – TESS is going to be used to kind of tell James Webb where to look, Mm -hmm. you know. So it's great how these missions build on each other. And uh, TESS just recently got renewed. Um, Now we're good till 2022, I believe. Um, So more science to come, more exoplanets to come in this really growing field. So Mm -hmm. pretty exciting. Jabali, what's been exciting about this mission to you? I think this mission is a really interesting one. I think the number that they put on how many planet candidates they've found in the southern sector alone in the last year, 993. And so they're going to be looking at those more intently to see, you know, which ones are worth studying. But um, I think from the recent announcements that we heard over the summer, there were two um, systems where they found um, some planets that were some some potential exoplanets. Um, One of them in particular is, uh, I think, about six Earth masses orbiting in the habitable zone and Mm -hmm. 31 light years away. So we're looking at, you know, planets that could potentially harbor life. And I think this is one area that people are particularly interested in. It gets people really excited as a little kid. This is what I was interested in, Mm -hmm. you know. So this, I think this speaks to sort of the... um, the really interesting stuff that that, that is being done, and, and, and we could see a lot of potential growing in that in the, in the next few years. Mm-hmm. Emory Kelly, the mission's overall cost was about $200 million, only about $80 million to launch on a SpaceX rocket. Um, you know, is this kind of a trend to have these low-cost um, kind of single-objective missions uh, from NASA? Um, I mean, I think there's a, a big portion of... Uh, folks at NASA who who love the 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 price difference between what would have been a launch ten years ago and a launch today, 
but uh, a big part of it is also the trend of technology getting smaller, but that doesn't change the fact that uh, TESS fits into the kind of overall space observation architecture, you know, which includes Hubble and uh, soon to be uh, James Webb, the James Webb Space Telescope. So, uh, yeah, I mean, $80 million for a launch is definitely a, a deal then. Actually, that launch today would probably be, what, closer to 50, mm-hmm, yeah. 55 million um, in, in today's dollars, if you will. So, I mean, I think, and not only that, but you can ride as a secondary payload, third payload, um, and as technology gets smaller, who knows, we might even see NASA really get excited and jump up and kind of like uh, that recent Falcon Heavy launch where, I mean, how many payloads were, were there, 24, mm-hmm. 25? Yeah, yeah. I like how we say in today's dollars and test launched a year ago. <laughs> a year ago. ago. I know, it was a year ago. I but, mean, that, yeah, that kind of goes to show that just how quickly yeah. this whole launch market is changing and how science can really jump on this this mm-hmm. downward trend. And, I mean, the sky's the limit. I hate to use that <laughs> pun. But, I mean, what do you all see about the future of, of these science missions, especially with low-cost access to space? Well, look how much money we look how much we've gotten for our money with tests so far. It's only been a year, and there's been so much discovery. I mean, a lot of the conversation around the announcement was just we've gotten we found so many more things I think than we expected in just in just a year and when you look at the cost of James Webb I mean that's that's a significant nine almost nine billion dollar project so for eight if this was what we can get for 80 billion what are we going to get 80 million what are we going to get for nine billion with a b yeah no it is it is very exciting and there's so many more competitors nowadays I mean thinking from now until even next year, we're going to have more launch providers. And, and so there's going to be more access to space, more competitors bringing that cost down, competing for those NASA contracts. And TESS was, I, I want to say it was one of the first missions that SpaceX, this is kind of what, other than colonizing Mars, this is kind of <laughs> what SpaceX was founded upon. They want to do, you know, planetary and, and space exploration. So this was, I know it was a really big deal for SpaceX to get this launch contract. Um, but in the in the coming years, you know, we're going to see we've got some smaller uh, class vehicles that are coming to launch, which I don't think could have launched tests. But, um, you know, these spacecrafts are getting smaller and more mm-hmm. compact. And so those smaller launch vehicles could compete for those contracts, technically. So that's pretty neat. We're just mm-hmm. going to get busier and busier, all of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We'd be booming on the Space Coast. <laughs> well, on the other side of things, we've been talking about low-cost missions. Let's talk about extremely high-cost missions. Um, things are ramping up for NASA as it works to meet the deadline set by the Trump administration to land humans on the moon in 2024. Um, we're learning a lot more about NASA's plans to meet that goal, including Gateway. Chibelli, what the heck is Gateway? <laughs> So you got to picture Gateway as essentially kind of like a mini international space station. I think that's the best way to think of it, Um, except instead of – going around the Earth, it's going to be orbiting around uh, the moon. And it's going to serve as basically, this is like your uh, command post uh, for, for moon missions. And it's the, it's the jumping off point. So, um, you know, from there, we're going to see landers going to the surface. We're going to see hopefully humans in those landers going to the surface. And a lot of the science is going to be based um, off the gateway. So that's, um, you know, one of the cornerstones of NASA's um, Moon to Mars mission, um, hoping to put boots on the moon by 2024. Mm-hmm. Emery Kelly, um, NASA is relying on the private sector to provide most, if not all, of these gateway parts. Um, 
can you kind of tell us a bit about what NASA needs from its private partners to get this off the ground? They need a lot. <laughs> yes, um, they do. You know, they've, they've got the power propulsion element kind of contracted out, but there, there's not there's not a warehouse somewhere with elements of Gateway, you know, put together and being tested. It is it is all in the design phase, and uh, you know, obviously, this is. So early on that you know NASA can have enough input to really impact the the path later on down the line, but nothing right now about Gateway exists in real life. So they uh, they're on, they're on a they're on a tight timeline there, and, mm-hmm. and they need to get pretty much all of it figured out very soon in order to start building test hardware, obviously testing it, and then getting it launched. Mm-hmm. On commercial providers, mind you. Um, what uh, what companies have expressed interest in applying for some of these um, these gateway contracts? Well, we do know about uh, Northrop Grumman. I mean, they just received a, a really big contract. I, I don't know the dollar amount. Um, I'm not even sure if that was announced. But um, the fact that they're going to use so Northrop, which bought uh, Orbital ATK and had the Cygnus spacecraft, which sends supplies to the space station, they're going to use part of that to build kind of like the base, I don't know, base model of of the Lunar Gateway. Mm -hmm. So that's a a pretty big deal. And they kind of went with them because um, according to kind of the proposal that I was reading, NASA said, well, you know, they can start with parts they already have. Mm -hmm. They can modify Cygnus. They know it's a pressurized capsule. So we're going to start from there and and kind of go up. Mm-hmm. So we know about that. And then um, Emery mentioned the propulsion system with um, Maxar. Oh, so, yeah, that's a pretty big deal. But And then Lockheed Martin has expressed uh, a lot of interest in, in Gateway as well. Um, but there's a lot of pieces to the pie. But that contract with Northrop is a really big deal because it's, you know, I mean, if you start to build the space station, it would make sense to continue to work with them, you mm-hmm. know, so. NASA also said, it, it, it recently said, you know, we're planning on working with overall 13 different companies on 19 partnerships, and that includes yeah. people like SpaceX. Mm-hmm. SpaceX, for example, they want to work on, um, adva- NASA wants to advance SpaceX's technology with vertically landing large rockets on the moon. Um, with Blue Origin, they want to work on their fuel cell power system for, for their Blue Moon Lander, not the beer. Um, <laughs> and Lockheed, you know, working on autonomous in-space plant growth systems. So they're really bringing all of these um, sort of the expertise that these companies have in different areas together on um, on Gateway. And really, it's a it's a realization that to, to get to that finish line, we can't we're not going to be able to do right. this alone. We need everybody pitching in somehow. And this is a, a science uh, collaborative. There's yes. there's no money has exchanged hands in, in no. this partnership. No. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Emery Kelly, talk to me a little bit about um, kind of this paradigm shift with NASA when it comes to Gateway, where they're not actually purchasing or contracting out the hardware, they're contracting out the service to use the hardware. This is a little bit different than the way NASA's done things in the past, right? Right. So the analogy we hear all the time is, uh, is an aircraft. You wouldn't put, in order to fly a government official from Washington, D.C. to Phoenix, you wouldn't contract a 737 from Boeing, design it to your specifications, build it exactly the way the government needs it, fly it once and throw it away. Um, That's what Boeing does on a day-to-day basis with a 737. So you would just buy a ticket on the airline. Mm 
um, for that government official. That's kind of what NASA wants to do in the future for a spaceflight, right? They want to be able to send astronauts to the moon. Companies want to be able to facilitate that on hardware they can then turn around and use for other commercial reasons, be it for, you know, you and me buying a ticket to go have coffee somewhere <laughs> in space. Um, so they can make money on the side from the hardware, but, you know, everyone agrees NASA is going to have to help with those initial investments to to develop that hardware. Mm-hmm. I think Emery just asked me out on a coffee date. Did you oh, all hear that? No. Yes. Yeah, I'd like to take my name Neptune, on, please. Thank you. On the moon. We're, yeah. We're going. We are going. <laughs> we are going. Well, what about other aspects to this plan? Gateway is, is just one piece of the moon puzzle. There's also the rocket SLS and the space capsule Orion. Where are we developing in those things? Well, Orion had a really successful uh, in-flight abort test uh, here from the from the from the Cape. We saw it this summer, and that was a huge milestone for them. Um, and then we heard Vice President Mike Pence um, when he was here for the moon landing anniversary on July twentieth, um, saying that Orion is essentially ready to go. There's a few more preparations left. The European Service Module, which um, is the power and propulsion element, um, is also ready to go. Those two have to be mated, and then tested together. So, um, And that's for the Artemis 1 mission. Artemis is um, the name NASA has given to its uh, moon mission. It's after the um, twin sister of Apollo, sort of a callback to the 1960s there. Um, and Artemis 1 would be the first um, test flight followed by Artemis 2, which would have crew, and then Artemis 3 would be the moon landing. So that's um, this is the Orion that will fly that very first test mission, and it'll hopefully set off um, you know, the, the other ones, but SLS, you know, has, has been struggling. Ultimately, Orion can't fly if SLS isn't ready. And, mm-hmm. um, that rocket has been over budget behind schedule. So we're, we're still, um, waiting to see. I think there was a, um, a, a government accountability report saying, um, that we're still, we're still behind schedule on that. And, and it'll be difficult to make that 2024 date. Mm-hmm. And Emery, um, also complicating things, there was a bit of a shakeup last month with the ousting of longtime human spaceflight head Bill Gerstenmaier. Um, this was a bit of a shock to folks that uh, follow space news. Um, how might this affect NASA's moon plans? Um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of experts, a lot of folks have said that remains unclear for now, but the overall message, in a way, kind of has been received, if you will, that. In order to get to the moon by 2024, there are going to need to be shakeups and changes to make that happen. I mean, Gerstenmaier had been with NASA since 1977, mm-hmm. uh, before the space shuttle even flew. Granted, he wasn't as as high up on the totem pole then as he was when when he uh, um, was done at NASA last month, but he was a significant force in human spaceflight. And considering the moon is human spaceflight, and even the missions that, that are going to the moon before the people go, even the robotic ones, that were in, in some way going to be impacted by, by his input. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see if folks who are moved around or folks who are moved around in the future uh, help this 2024 goal happen. Mm-hmm. 
Speaking of human spaceflight, we're also getting closer to the first humans launched under NASA's commercial crew partnership with SpaceX and Boeing. Uh, Emery, I'm going to stick with you. Um, what's the latest um, with the schedule? Have we received an update recently? So <clears throat> I'll start with Boeing's Starliner. The latest update is late September, if everything goes well, or more likely early October, also if everything goes well. And this well. is for an uncrewed uh, test flight? Correct. Yeah, this is for Starliner's uncrewed test flight uh, on an Atlas V rocket from uh, Cape Canaveral Air Force Station. And it seems like right now Boeing is, is, is essentially saying early October is, is more than likely our current target. Obviously, that might shift. It's been shifting for a while. Um, regarding SpaceX, uh, after the Crew Dragon explosion at the Air Force Station in April, um, there were some rumors about the possibility in, in December. Um, honestly, I think all eyes are kind of on Boeing right now to make their uncrewed happen. Mm-hmm. And then we can kind of worry about SpaceX considering they're, they're dealing with that those hardware changes that, that need to happen to Crew Dragon. Mm-hmm. I'll turn it to you, Chabelli and Emily. I mean, are you optimistic that we'll see that 2019 launch? Um, well, so, you know, you, you were talking about um, those administration changes and in regards to that 2024 to goal to the moon. Well, we already know it's having an impact on commercial crew because I think just last week, NASA they took down the dates on the commercial crew um, timeline. So now it used to say, you know, SpaceX, we don't know, mm-hmm. and, you know, Boeing, September or whatever. But now it's saying, well, we're reassessing all of these now that we have new leadership in in these roles over human spaceflight. We want to, you know, give them a second to get in, catch their breath, review everything, and, and then announce those dates again. So as far as NASA is concerned, they're like the – the slate has been wiped clean on those dates. Um, I want to say a, a few weeks ago um, for the Apollo 11 anniversary, we spoke to um, Channel 6. We spoke to uh, Boeing's he, uh, astronaut, a former NASA astronaut, Chris Ferguson, and he said, September, we are ready to go for this Starliner uncrewed launch. He sounded really excited about it. Um, and he said that he was very optimistic that you know we could see a crewed flight this year. Mm-hmm. Um but that being said, you know those those administration changes. I think it's it's TBD. It's mm-hmm. you know yeah. we'll find out. And, and in the case of Boeing, they have also had testing issues as well yes. that they've been dealing with. So yes. you know, working out all those kinks. Right. Yeah, I think uh, when you asked the question, we were sort of shaking our heads over <laughs> here because the reality is there's a lot of components that need to line up for this to all go perfectly. We're only, I mean. What, what, what month are we in, guys? August? I think August? it's August, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, you know, the year is almost over, and the reality is, and when SpaceX was sort of talking about what caused their explosion um, in April here on the when they were testing one of their capsules, they said, you know, we're optimistic, but ultimately safety is our very first priority. As Nobody wants mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. see something like that in the air with astronauts with crew. I mean, so the reality is they have, they just talked about what caused that and came down and got down to, 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 to the, to the root cause. And, and now we're only a few months out before the end of the year. I mean, is it likely I will see, but, uh, but I think we'll probably be looking at a, at a 2020 crude launch. Emery, are you in the consensus there? 
Entirely. Yes. <laughs> you better be. No. He, he sort of paused and they're like, oh, no, does he agree with us? What do I say? What do I do? Well, we'll, we'll definitely look forward to that um, whenever it happens. Um, but late last week, um, we got to see some details of SpaceX's next big rocket, the Starship and the Starhopper. Um, this was in an, a draft environmental assessment proposal that was released by the private space company. Um, what did we learn about Starship and Starhopper that we didn't know before? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to start? <laughs> well, uh, okay, so I'll, I'll jump in with something I thought was interesting. They were saying, you know, uh, 24 launches a year ultimately of this thing. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, that was kind mm-hmm. of what stopped me. I think that's a huge amount, and um, and we're seeing a lot of discussion on this. We know this is uh, Elon Musk, SpaceX's CEO. His, um, he's really interested in this and putting a lot of effort in it. I, thought, I think he tweeted today that he's going to be here today. He said he's going to be at the Coco, uh, the yeah. Coastal Steel facility where they're building the second Starship mock-up. Yeah, so they're... And he called it Cape Canaveral. Cape... No. BT dubs. It's okay. <laughs> Close <laughs> enough. We'll Separated by two rivers and a whole other... <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Well, I've only been here for a year and I just figured it out, so... <laughs> I have a map at my desk that has the line to yeah. show me where everything is. <laughs> that is a Brevard native pet peeve of mine. <laughs> um, another thing I thought was interesting was SpaceX is considering landing um, within the 39A boundary, yes. um, which which you reported on, Brendan. Yes. So I thought that was, that was quite interesting. Yeah, a lot, a lot well. of sonic booms. People are pretty excited about that. Much booms. Much booms. We just had a huge sonic boom from the um, most recent SpaceX launch, right? Mm-hmm. That we I was in my office in Orlando, um, which is about like an hour uh, west of, of the Cape, and, and I heard it in there. And that place is like a bunker. We have like no <laughs> windows. We heard it in there. Everyone sort of looked up. So it'd be, it'd be fun to, to hear it more again, kind uh-huh. of like in the space shuttle days. We so 24 look. launches, landing, landing at 39A. Uh, Spec, what stood out to you? Um, well, you know, that the sonic boom, like you said, I mean, well, first of all, there were, I mean, there were so many things. This was a 250 page environmental report, yeah, which, you know, it. it's, it sounds, <laughs> yeah, it sounds pretty nerdy and it kind of was, but it gave us a lot of details. Um, you know, a lot of they, dry reading yeah, in there though. A lot, yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> and, um, and, and they want to build, you know, another structure at 39A. Um, so, you know, essentially they're going to be able to launch. Falcon 9, Falcon Heavy, well, Star- Starship eventually will replace both, I, I believe, is the goal. But they want to, you know, build um, – it's going to stand 400 feet tall. Like, huge. this thing is going to be huge. Um, and it's going to launch from there and and then maybe land from there. But it's going to – until they can construct another landing pad at 39A, they're planning on landing it um, at Cape Canaveral like they do for the Falcon Heavy. Landing zone the, one. Yeah, the double landings. Um, and then the booster itself is going to land out at sea on a drone ship. Um, so that's interesting. But it seemed like they were interested in possibly getting to have a land landing. But that thing is – that would be a big boom. If we think Starship's going to be a big boom, I think you said it covers about a third of the state, right, mm-hmm. Brendan, from here to Tampa and then maybe 60 miles north and south. Yeah, it's a big footprint. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big boom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, and one thing that I found interesting, um, which seems to be a trend with SpaceX, is all the refurbishment is going to happen here. And yes. for SpaceX's next Dragon cargo capsule, yep. they plan on doing refurbishment here. So not only will um, Florida host launch and landings, but also uh, refurbishment of space hardware, which well, I think is pretty cool. You need a quick turnaround for 24 launches yeah, a year. It's yeah, it's a very good point. <laughs> Emery, for, for some context, I mean, what is an environmental assessment um, and does that give us any clues as to how far along SpaceX is with this project? Um, it's a very, very, very preliminary thing. Um, it's it's not necessarily a, a permit 
it, it doesn't give them permission to start or anything like that. It is just a basic, we're going to get, you know, maybe a, a dozen experts together um, and figure out how SpaceX is sort of, or any company's nebulous plans right now could impact um, what is out there, you know, the Merritt Island National Wildlife Refuge. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, it, I'm sure you saw these portions in there, which were, how does it impact turtles and, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> snakes and trees and eagles? And will the sonic booms cause, you know, uh, damage to, to structures or animals and whatnot? Mm -hmm. Yeah, or eardrums. Um, so that's essentially what it is, just looking at these plans as they stand now and how building these things out, trucks, infrastructure, will impact the environment. Mm -hmm. So while it's exciting, it's still many, many years off. For sure. It's yeah. a hopes and dreams document. That's what I'm going to call it <laughs> right. from now on. Okay. Here are all our hopes and dreams. <laughs> 250 pages of them. Of mm. hopes and dreams. For those turtles and the birds <laughs> as well. Well, we're keeping a watchful eye on um, what's next with uh, Starship. Um, but I'm going to have you all open your reporter's notebooks um, and let me know what you're keeping your eye on um, in the coming weeks and months. Uh, Emery, what's, uh, what's on your docket? Well, in the short term, obviously we have two launches this week. Uh, it sounds like from this morning that uh, the, the, the range approved SpaceX for a Tuesday attempt. Okay. Um, and then on Thursday, we will have... The Atlas V launch with a military communication satellite. Uh, the, these are all exciting, but I think the August 22nd last ever single stick Delta IV is, uh, you know, it, it's a milestone. It's mm -hmm. the end of something, and I think that'll be, that'll be interesting. Um, you know, maybe we might see uh, Tori Bruno, CEO of, you know, United Launch Alliance out here. Well, I'm sure we will, you mm -hmm. know, for the last launch of his, of his Delta IV um, which I believe, like Atlas V, has a hundred percent success rate. I don't think it's ever had a problem. Um, Way to go! Now you just jinxed it, Emery. Oh my gosh! <laughs> they will blame me. <laughs> um, beyond that, honestly, right now it's just human spaceflight. Yeah. Um, now that the Apollo anniversary is, yes. is out of the way, <laughs> uh, someone was going to bring that up during this. It took us 26 recording. minutes to bring up Apollo, it, so way to go. Truly <laughs> incredible, given how much we all put into that. Yeah. Our yeah. hearts and souls. Um, Chabelli, are you planning for the 75th anniversary of Apollo? Is <laughs> Brendan, please do not trigger me. Um, <laughs> although I think Emery had a call. Somebody called him about what he's doing for the 60th anniversary, yeah. which is just the worst thing you could do to a space re reporter right now. Just finished with I'm the 50th. Yeah, we're just... Well, you've opened us to tweets now from all of our oh, listeners. Gosh. Well, we're the, 50th, ask about the, that. the 50th anniversary of uh, Apollo 12 is, <laughs> is near. Oh, no. um, oh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, I think for us, uh, commercial crew is really something yeah. that's it's of huge interest to our readers. It's of huge interest to everyone. I mean, what happens with that? Um, what um, if the schedules change? I think we'll be looking very, very closely at, um, at whether we're going to have that crew launch this year or, or next. And 
you know, space space some stuff out, you know. Mm-hmm. We're okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> Tuesday, Thursday launch this week. That's a lot Tuesday, of work. Thir- yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Emily Speck, well, what, what's uh, on your radar? <clears throat> um, well, so, yeah, commercial crew is obviously on everybody's radar. Seeing that first, uh, you know, a Starliner launch is going to be really important. But then kind of looking a little further out into next year, we've got uh, our next Mars robotic mission, Mars yeah. 2020. I'm super excited about that. Um, the Launching world- from here, right? Yes, launching from here. In fact, I think in I got to go to JPL and I got to see Mars 2020. Nice. One, I want to know what this thing is going to be called besides Mars 2020 because, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's not a sexy name. Let's just say that. Um, and they're working on it. Um, and then it's uh, the robot is going to be down here, I think, in December or January. So the team was really excited about that. Um, and then it's going to launch from Cape Canaveral uh, next year, I think July. So... That's really exciting. We're going to have a uh, another Mars rover just going out there. It's got some pretty sweet tires um, that aren't going to get <laughs> holes in them, like uh, Curiosity. Um, so this thing is going to be built to last. I'm hoping that when we get some astronauts on the ground in Mars, it will be there to greet them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Super cool. Well, I am keeping my eye on Tess's northern hemisphere observations if you couldn't tell i'm super obsessed by this uh mission because i put it at the top of the show and uh i've gotten bitten by the exoplanet bug so i can't wait to see what's coming up so let us know what you're keeping your eyes on you can go ahead and tweet the show we're at awty mars or shoot me an email are we there yet at wmfe.org we've been speaking with orlando sentinels chabelli herrera chabelli thanks for speaking with us this was fun and WKMG's Emily Speck. Emily, thanks. Always happy to be here. And Florida Today's Emery Kelly. Emery, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Stay connected with Chibelli, Emily, and Emery on Twitter or check out their publications. You can stay connected with me by joining the conversation online. Follow us on Facebook. We're at Are We There Yet Podcast. Or if Twitter's more your thing, find us at AWTY Mars. Are we there yet, Mars? Get it? Or if you have a story idea or guest pitch, go ahead and send me an email. We're at arewetheryet at wmfe.org. This podcast is a presentation of WMFE. Our theme music was composed by Kevin McLeod. More space news online at wmfe.org slash space. Until next time, I'm Brandon Byrne. Thanks for listening. <laughs>